The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Friday, August 7th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Today is International Beer Day. How to celebrate and why it exists. How the Netflix sound logo came to be and what goats and wedding rings have to do with it. And the orchestra that uses fresh produce as instruments. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. It's one of the most recognizable branded sounds in the world. The Netflix sound logo. How did it come to be? What are the sounds in it made from? Dallas Taylor, host of the podcast 20,000 Hertz, which reveals the stories behind some of the world's most interesting and recognizable sounds, recently spoke to the team responsible for creating Netflix's iconic sound logo. You can listen to that entire episode at the link in the show notes, but here are some of the highlights that I found the most interesting. So while Netflix has been around since the late 90s, it wasn't until they introduced streaming content in 2007 and, more importantly, started producing their own original content in 2013 that the need for a sound logo was brought up. And the man who recognized the need? Netflix's VP of product, Todd Yellen. While a lot of other people played crucial roles in the process, he is ultimately the one responsible for the sound we all know today. Sound logos are common before movies or sometimes at the end of TV shows, you know, the quick sound effect or slightly longer musical composition that you hear as the name of the studio or production company is animated on screen. Here are a few cut together as part of Neil Cicerega's Mouth Sounds album to jog your memory. I bet you rarely think of those sounds except when you're hearing them in context. But you recognized almost all of them when they played, right? You could visualize most of the brands as soon as you heard the sound. That is the marker of a successful sound logo. Todd Yellen knew that if Netflix was now in the production game, they needed their own sound that people would associate with Netflix. Speaking to host Dallas Taylor, Yellen said, quote, Shouldn't we have a sound that when you hear that, you think, Wow, I'm going to get a treat. I am about to get an amazing story that's relevant to me, and that's most importantly, cinematic in my home. End quote. One crucial aspect he knew from the get-go, however, was that it couldn't be as long as some of those that I just played for you. Sound logos for THX, 20th Century Fox, and Universal, as iconic and awesome as they are, were designed for the captive audience of movie theater goers. You know, they're already sitting there, having paid their ticket, committed to seeing what comes on their screen after the logo plays. 
But quoting Yellen, In our age of click and play, you get to Netflix, you want to be able to click, and there's no patience. You want that great experience, and you almost want it immediately. End quote. And even though Netflix was fairly revolutionary in its space by combining both the entertainment and digital worlds, Yellen didn't want anything electronic, like a video game or operating system sound logo. He wanted something that would really make people think Netflix, but without saying the name. Something that would, quote, build up and then release, like a story does. It also needed to be versatile, or all-encompassing. You know, Netflix made movies and TV shows across all genres. The sound would need to work for drama, comedy, horror, romance. It was a tall order. He and his team sought out demos from tons of sound designers and composers, sifting through samples made from all kinds of sound effects and from instruments from all over the world. As they went on, they tried out sounds from music boxes, opening doors, ticking clocks, and vintage filmmaking instruments. As part of Yellen's idea that the sound for such a new venture as Netflix should maybe have a quirky element to it, Yellen got really hung up on using a goat for the sound logo. Yeah, an actual goat, like, bleeding. They won't release the goat version that they worked on for a while, but Yellen did say that part of his reasoning for this was that it was like a weird internet-age homage to MGM's Leo the Lion. And I get that, you know, especially considering that this would have been around 2011 to 2014-ish that they were working on this sound. A hashtag quirky internet joke would have actually probably been received fairly well and then completely slaughtered by Gen Z as they came of age two or so years later, as most of our more cringeworthy early 2000s internet jokes have been. But anyways, eventually they brought on Academy Award-winning sound designer Lon Bender, who kept working on strange sound effects, the goat, and other ideas. He helped them come up with two of the key elements of the sound they ended up going with. First, the two beats at the start, what they internally call the tadum. What you're hearing is actually Bender's wedding ring knocking against the cabinet in his bedroom. He, of course, added some other elements and sounds to it to give it a bit more gravity, as one does in the film world, but at its core, that's all it is. And if you listen to him actually knocking on the cabinet in the podcast, it's a bit uncanny. And the ending part, what's internally called The Blossom. That came from Chris Campagna, a sound designer who was working with Bender on the project. It's him playing guitar, technically. It was a sound he had made decades prior when messing around with some new pedals and recording gear. From a combination of looping, reverb, and other effects from the gear, he had created this kind of ethereal sound that was 30 seconds long. And he kept it over the years because he thought it was beautiful. But over the years, he had never found a use for it. Then when he was brainstorming with Bender, Campania included the sound in the various potential clips that he sent over to Bender, and they ended up using part of it. It didn't even get edited or added to or anything. They just clipped out the one part of Campania's original sound that we hear today as the blossom. Campania said it was like, quote, the orphan sound found its purpose, found its parents, end quote. And after a few rounds of anonymous surveys and some crucial input from Yellen's 10-year-old daughter, the tadum and blossom that we know and love today was picked as the winner and has since become one of the most widely respected sound logos in the field. But there is actually a second Netflix sound logo. Even though Yellen's team had achieved a sound that really does work across any genre, the only type of content it doesn't work for is original films being watched in a movie theater. 
Once Netflix started screening some of their originals in movie theaters, which partially started so that they could be eligible for film festivals and awards, they immediately noticed that the Tadum sound logo just didn't work. Tanya Kumar, brand design lead at Netflix, said it was too short and that the movie would just kind of start before you even knew what was happening. It didn't set the movie mood. It goes back to what Yellen was saying about length. The 20th Century Fox and Marvel and Universal sound logos are much longer. They build up the anticipation and really get you in the mood for the story that's ahead. So the four second to dumb was just too short, but Netflix didn't want to throw it away altogether. They just wanted to make it longer and bigger. Ultimately, they brought in composer Hans Zimmer, an obviously legendary choice, but also someone who had worked with Netflix previously for shows like The Crown. And here is what they all agreed on as the longer-form cinematic sound logo. And I'd say they nailed it. I mean, it really feels like you get an entire movie in one sound and could definitely work for any genre. If you want to hear more about how they settled on that extended cinematic sound logo and more on the other sounds that they were considering for the four-second Tadum logo and all kinds of more details on how they made the decision, check out the 20,000 Hertz podcast episode, link in the show notes. And next time you watch Netflix and hear the Tadum, hopefully you'll have some appreciation for how much went into it, or at least appreciate that they didn't go with the goat. Today, August 7th, is officially International Beer Day. International Beer Day was founded in 2007 by Californians Jesse Avshalamov, Evan Hamilton, Aaron Araki, and Richard Hernandez, and takes place the first Friday of every August. The founders state the purpose of International Beer Day as being threefold, quoting the official website, one, to gather with friends and enjoy the deliciousness that is beer, Two, to celebrate the dedicated men and women who brew and serve our beer. And three, to bring the world together under the united banner of beer by celebrating the beers of all nations and cultures together on this one remarkable day. End quote. While it started just at their local bar, there are now over 200 known celebrations all over the world. They stated that August was chosen, since in the Northern Hemisphere at least, it's a good summer month for enjoying beer and they wanted to distance it from other beer-drinking holidays. Which, yeah, turns out there are a lot of those. Not just holidays that have become associated with excess, like Fat Tuesday, New Year's Eve, or St. Patrick's Day, or even the Super Bowl, but there's actually a whole bunch of explicitly alcohol-themed holidays. Beer Can Appreciation Day on January 24th, World Bartender Day on February 24th, New Beer's Eve on April 6th and National Beer Day on April 7th, both of which celebrate the lifting of Prohibition here in the United States in 1933. There's also Saison Day, German Beer Day, Homebrew Day, Sour Beer Day, Drink Beer Day, Beer and Pizza Day, all of Oktoberfest, and even National Hangover Day on, well, January 1st. And there are so many more. But the dudes were right, apart from IPA Day, which was actually yesterday. And hey, I drank an IPA last night, so I guess I accidentally celebrated. 
Apart from that one, August is actually a pretty good point between other beer-drinking holidays explicitly or implicitly celebrated. And while the website and social media profiles for International Beer Day have not been updated in a couple of years, that is of course not stopping any brands from hopping on the bandwagon. Peroni has teamed up with Il Laboratoria del Gelato, a super fancy high-tech gelato joint here in New York City, to make limited edition beer-infused gelato which is free to customers in-store today and available to buy online while supplies last. A few apparel stores like Duluth Trading Company and Society6 are offering discounts on beer-related items, and most notably, Miller Lite is offering a free rebate to any customers who buy a six-pack today in U.S. cities named after countries. Towns like Cuba, Illinois, Finland, Minnesota, and Canada, Kentucky can send in a copy of their receipt before August 14th and have Miller Lite pick up the tab. Check the list on their site, though, because they only list 80 cities. There are some states who may have cities named after countries, but whose liquor laws prohibit this kind of offer. But lucky folks in Scotland, South Dakota, are getting the real deal. Miller Lite will be driving around town all day in a big truck, handing out free cans of Miller Lite to anyone of legal drinking age who wants one. But if you want to celebrate the holiday in the good old-fashioned, non-branded way, maybe try out a new beer at home, or go to a local bar with outdoor seating where you can safely social distance, I would say my personal top recommendation for this year in particular is to donate to a bartender's fund, or any kind of fundraiser your local bars might be running, so that you can support your favorite local establishment and your local bartenders to help them get through this extraordinarily rough time for the hospitality industry. But however you celebrate, if you do, please drink responsibly and enjoy this totally superfluous holiday. Here's a music group that is very serious about getting their five a day. Founded in 1998 and based in Vienna, the Vegetable Orchestra does exactly what their name says. They perform music using vegetables as instruments. In addition to more recent Zoom video performances, the orchestra performs all over the world, and when they do, they purchase local produce ahead of the show and turn those vegetables into their instruments on the day. Even better, after the show, they turn all the instruments they used into a soup and serve it to the audience. Though I'm not sure if that particular gimmick will be returning in the post-pandemic era, or how exactly they did it before, because like these musicians are putting their hands and mouths all over the vegetables while they play them, I mean, I assume that they're only using some of the cast-offs from building the vegetables, but still. A bit more on the instruments from the band's website, quote, All the instruments used are exclusively made from vegetables, from fresh as well as dried plant material such as carrot, leek, celery root, artichoke, dried pumpkin, and onion skin. All these components are used for building organic instruments and sound generators, which usually only last for one concert or one day in the studio. In addition to the vegetables, various utensils, like record players or power drills, are used to create unusual noises and to add unexpected texture to the music, end quote. They say the instruments can take anywhere from under a minute to make, like a tomato, or as long as 13 minutes for a cucumberophone, or a half hour for a carrot recorder. They also don't hold themselves to one genre. They call their style of music, quote, vegetable style influenced by experimental contemporary, electronic music, music concrete, noise, improvised music, pop music, etc., end quote. 
Here's a sample of what they sound like from their YouTube channel. With live performances canceled for the foreseeable future, they seem to be posting a lot more of their music online, so keep an eye out for that. And if you want more like this, I also recommend checking out musician Andrew Wong on YouTube, who over the years has made music out of all kinds of vegetables and other foods and household items, including a cover of 99 Luft Balloons using 99 Red Balloons, and a cover of I Can't Feel My Face using dental equipment. You can check out more from both Andrew Wong and the Vegetable Orchestra at the links in the show notes. That is all for today, for this week. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I am Jackson Bird. I hope you all have a good weekend, and I will talk to you again on Monday.